After all this, you still... I still want that gas, yes. And you had better deliver. Although I need... I don't know, at some point I need to talk to you about, like, the only book on Indian history I have is, like, a like a John Kay book, who also has a book on China, but he's just, like, this British dude, and it seems like he's fairly as neutral as he can be, but it's also just, like, I don't know. One of the, I that don't, sounds yeah. like one of the better options, because the thing about Indian history is, like, there is a lot of scholarship, but in the West, a lot of it is still drawn from, you know, like, the kind of proto-Nazis, like, in the way that people will take Nietzsche for being a proto-Nazi, but there were a lot of scholars around him who, like, wanted it to interpret it that way. Yeah. There was one... Um, German historian, I forget what his name was, but my like if you talk to like people in my generation, they'll be like, Oh yeah, this guy was a fraud. But he was basically the one who made the equivalency between like Aryans as like a nomadic people across Central Asia also being uh German in some capacity. Oh, yeah, that so he conflated a bunch of things to, you know. Inflated that along with like thus spoke Zarathustra and like uh, all that shit. Oh, okay. So yeah, so there's aspect to it that like you know the Aryans, what they are, who they are, like that's been conflated woefully in Western history. Also, just that a lot of the um initial bit of historical studies came from like British colonial records, right? So they were targeted more at, like how do we exploit this for colonial enterprise more so than actual historical or archaeological uh, study? Well, I mean, it's also that, like, uh, yeah, there's that, and that's, like, the, the it's weird because, like, my, my understanding of a lot of, like, the Indian subcontinent is, like, based on reading stuff from, like, proto-history. So uh -huh. like, I could tell you, like, pretty accurately, like, what India looked like in the year 1000, you know? <laughs> Um, and the way that like, um, you know, um, like Western Indian coast countries because of what, there's that big ass mountain range on the Western coast of India. <laughs> like, so all these Western, uh, towns and port cultures sort of developed in like a really yeah. different way from like, in like the rest of the country and are like, you know, from what I understand from my reading are a lot more like Arab and strip African in the way that they interact. Absolutely. They, Absolutely. It was like the route went from like, um, yeah, from like the western coast of India to the Persian Gulf to um, like basically the Horn uh, of Africa, back and forth. And so like all these dudes ended up having yeah, like that's where you get like the Indians who are Muslims and shit like that. It's like right from like these big routes, but it's like the yeah, I don't think people realize either. It's like oh yeah, when you're saying that the colonial sort of history of India can end up being a little more accurate, it's like well yeah, because like. The world system started in like fucking 800 AD. We've all been up in each other's shit for a really long time, gang. <laughs> Old, older, if you want to like look at the Silk Road and shit too. Yeah, I mean, like uh, there was um, there was a book I was reading. I, I don't know if you can believe that. Uh, uh, no, this John Wickham book, The Inheritance of Rome. It's I think about like 280 to 1200 AD, and it talks about like yeah, the all of these networks were already set up and everything was already kind of moving. And yeah, the Silk Road was this main route. And then it started to develop all of these arterial routes after the collapse of Rome, because it allowed um, new markets to form. And like, I don't, you know, as somebody who thinks about like 
things that are not necessarily correlation and or things that are not necessarily causation but are correlation it's like you know like the the, the reason we're talking right now is because i sort of started looking at 1953 it was like mk ultra and oil and it's like mm-hmm. the uh the dissolution of rome happened so close to the dissolution of the last connie that you have these like big ass like abilities for like land to sort and not like not like the last Khanate, but the last like mega Khanate, you know, collapsed mm-hmm. within like I think 150 years after the collapse of Rome. Like the last holdings that like Genghis had before his sons just started carving the motherfucker up. Right. Had, like, you know, 80 sons who each had 80 grandchildren, you know, all the rest of it. And so like the Khanates fell apart pretty quickly. Um, pretty much it's a four competing bodies at that point, yeah. Yeah, yeah, like it's um, but us. Um, well, I have like my, I have my water, I have my coffee, I have my stack of books I wanted to reference while we're talking. I'm talking to you, we're recording. Um, I think I'm probably good to go whenever you want to start. You know, you tell me how this goes. I'm just following your lead. I, I mean, dude, you you basically cold opened this episode for me. You know what I mean? Okay. Um, so yeah, welcome back to the greenhouse, dear listeners. Um, I'm joined by my buddy Charlie. Um, you can follow him on Twitter as at Heavenly Spit. Um, and this episode kind of comes out of um some extended conversations we've been having since I think we met on like a Twitter space, I want to say a couple weeks ago. Yeah, I think we've been we've we very quickly started uh orbiting each other's ideas and I think sort of um have been uh, helping each other develop some things that I don't really know if we were even consciously thinking about. I feel like there's been a good interplay of, uh, oh, hey, man, like I was thinking about this thing you said to me, and you don't know that I've been thinking about this other thing, but it totally came up in that. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So the initial discussion we were having was kind of, um, I mean, these discussions are always vague, but like the big recurring theme that's been coming up in our discussions and something that's been a goal for me here when I started the podcast was, you know, how do you get people out of, particularly like people who are stuck in like a more liberal form of thought, right? Where they may be more concerned with ideals, virtue, behaviors, and norms. Um, How do you get them out of it? And for me, like pushing people towards a coherent analysis of power and material reality has always been like the answer. I'm not necessarily the most well-read person on that, but I find that to be the most effective because when people get confused, it's because they don't seem to have a good idea of who's holding the power. Why do they do that? And that came up in our discussion. and we kind of both moment of like, okay, this guy gets it that, you know, materialist analysis is what makes things when you're trying to look at complex ass shit. Yeah, I think one of the first conversations that you and I um, had that was of like any real, like real substance, we started like sort of really bouncing ideas off each other was like um, about um, not to jump too far ahead, but materialism inside the record industry. Right. Um, you know, I, uh, I I think I'd spoken to you of like, a, um, you know, I've, I've been uh, involved in punk communities uh, like uh, for a, a decent amount of my life. Um, and you get so many people who are like, especially um, after basically the entire industry had a big um, 
sort of forced uh like soft reset during covid like all the venues shut down and mm-hmm. stuff touring you know people would talk to me about like okay after the fact you know when shows come back what do we um what do we want them to look like you know um and how are we going to keep these communities equitable and you know i i um for me my response to it with a a, a good number of people was sort of like multi-tiered it's like well you need to do the thing where um performances happen earlier they can't be at like nine o'clock at night on weekdays they need to be mm-hmm. centralized and available to like working people and busy people and you know at this point with the amount of like weird schedules people have i don't think it would be a worse thing ever to like you know i know people who are uh, bartenders who would love to be able to go see like a cool band play like noon or something mm-hmm. um and then i uh you know i just sort of yeah i started um extrapolating from there and it's like well you're also going to need to um make rehearsal spaces basically like free <laughs> if you want to have an equitable music industry you're going to need to make uh the instruments free you're going to need to have a uh a very clear eyed and sober analysis of uh, the demographics in this country that have been able to accumulate the sort of wealth that you need to start a rock band. Like you need to have like a decent amount of money to buy uh, a guitar or a drum kit or an amplifier. Um, and you need to have um, the ability to set aside the time to write songs and um, to practice. Um, but even past that, I don't see how you get past the uh, the material construction of the industry itself, because sooner or later, you're going to have to figure out what is exactly equitable about providing, you know, black, brown and poor people in the first world with all of this advanced music equipment that is almost exclusively sourced off of the third world. Um, you're kind of suggesting that people domestically should be asking people who are exactly like them just unfortunate enough to not live in america to sacrifice their you know comfort and their stability so that you can have a bunch of people here like playing the guitar um which doesn't really seem um like it's uh that doesn't really seem like a fair uh trade-off to me and i i don't think that it either is uh fair when you sort of imply that people should be um, mechanisms of their own international exploitation so long as they can receive some sort of um, benefit on the hyper-local level. Um, And I started to see that as like a microcosm for a lot of the way that, um, you know, I remember talking to you about this and it's it's definitely developed into, um, uh, it's helped me develop this sort of like larger gnawing thing or this sort of, this overarching look at the way that, the entire mass media industry is basically predicated on dumping products and dumping tech onto, uh, you know, tech for lack of a better word, onto the general public of the first world, and then diversifying uh, the types of demographics that will be attracted to that tech through, you know, podcasts, music, movies, the mass media, whatever. And, um, you know, I I think a, a decent amount of people inside of our sphere sort of talk about like the concept of like the the, you know, the psyop or the 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 larger you know conspiracy or whatever, and I you start to realize like there is none. It's just the actual material construction of the world itself is is the op that is the that's the 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 framing is that it's you're unable to escape that sort of like structure of exploitation, um, and uh, I. 
I think at this point it's more in the, the conversation you and I have been having is sort of like, okay, now what do we do with that observation? You know, what does God want me to do with this information? Um. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's a very cogent analysis of like some of the stuff I've been observing too. Cause I've been, I guess for like a year now trying to make sense of like consumerism and these massive networks, like you described of like, ebb and flow of supply materials at the expense of the third world to the, you know, to the benefit of the first world. Right. And it's very easy to, in addition to trying to figure out like, what do I do with also very easy to get caught up in things that may not necessarily be relevant to finding the answers. Right. And you can kind of get ad busters with the kind of stuff you do, you know, you do to criticize. And I think a lot of like what comes up in anti-consumerist spaces, not that I think it's necessarily bad, but I think it kind of misses the forest for the trees, is that, you know, it's bad, it's anti-moral, you know, it makes you greedy. And I, that's not necessarily untrue, right? But I always kind of hearken back to that old Engels quote, which is, human is downstream from material reality. And then the question should then be reframed into, you know, who does this order benefit? And it sounds obvious, it sounds very trite, but it's like, once again, uh, the global elite, the 1%, the bourgeois, whatever term you're, you're going to use still, benefits from this order. And they get to profit in the short and long term by maintaining these kinds of weird relationships of material reality right and this is this is the order that capitalism is predicated on in the present day yeah i think one of the things that's been um <clears throat> um i think that there's a lot of yeah as far as you're um looking at the uh forest for the trees and i think adbusters is a good example. I think it's uh, parallel to a lot of other things that um, we're uh, we're sort of critiquing or interested in poking at. Um, and that, yeah, it's um, you know, you're if you're inside of a capitalist system that's predicated on a sort of like you know neo imperialist like like a globalization like a material structure and uh, exploitation structure it doesn't really matter what is in the ad busters you're still just a magazine company you're mm -hmm. still just exploiting the third world to put out this magazine um or um i think um uh, one of the things that i mean not to not to put you on blast or to you know uh make this no i think you should bring it up i think you should bring it up you only bring up podcasts don't you yes yes because it's very it's very critical you bring up that point yeah, the, the thing with podcasts is like, well, <laughs> it's a bunch of people arguing over what the right and wrong podcasts are. They're all listening to you on the same fucking phones. <laughs> but but more than that, tech. yeah, exactly. Like in, at some level, you know, whether or not you can sell the right ideas on your podcast, it's it may be even tertiary to the fact that like podcasts remain a selling feature to sell iPhones. Exactly. It's like, and it's like, oh, if you can't, um, 
if you can't find a podcast you like, don't worry, we have another one of a different type. And so it's always, yeah, it's funny to me when people say that um, certain podcasts or like certain people in media at this point are like where, look, I don't care if certain podcast hosts are CIA assets or NSA agents or whatever. Like it just, it, I, I would consider that to be irrelevant. There's a political economy that needs to come into play and the political economy of thinking that something sucks. That's a part of the mass media as you turn it off. Like that's about as far as you can go with it. Um, but yeah, the, um, I think a lot about a lot of this stuff. Um, and I'm sure that this is some deep philosophical thought that somebody else came up with. I remember reading it somewhere, but I can't remember who said it. Was that you? Every act of seeing has an act of not seeing. There's something you're not seeing when you're looking at the things you're looking at. Um, <clears throat> and um, and I think it's um, I think it's incredibly. Uh, I, I think you're I think you're doing the equivalent of running an op on yourself by saying like, oh, I've learned that you know the mass media is this big control system, and so it's obviously like you know there's people who are assigned roles inside of it. And so you, and like, I look, I could sit here and name like podcast hosts and CNN anchors and shit, but I'm just like not interested in that because like whatever they're saying is irrelevant to the fact that you already bought the fucking phone. <laughs> they got what right. they, the structure got what it wanted out of you. And it wants you to keep on buying new phones. And so we'll keep on putting out new content that will keep on making further and further micro demographics. So long as like you pick up an iPhone 15 or whatever, when it comes out, like, and the structure of complaint around this entire media system, where you pull up Twitter and you bitch about it on your phone, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, um, and it, it's like, regardless of, uh, there's an entirely, separate conversation that i don't know if you and i want to get into today about like the surveillance economy you know um mm -hmm. but you don't even have to have a critique about that you know to still see that this entire like media structure is based on you buying new phones buying new televisions buying new video game consoles um and I, dude i i i love my iphone i love playing my xbox on my tv i'm not gonna sit here and try and like out moral anybody but it's um i think you need to have like some sort of critique about like they don't care what you're listening to they don't care about your protest music they don't care about like your fucking like your anti-capitalist screeds that you're still publishing through book companies they don't care about your anti-capitalist music that you're still pressing on records or you know <laughs> you know you tell me whenever you want to start jumping into the the reasons that we're talking today um mm -hmm. but um it's um the entire structure kind of gets what it wants out of you and is going to create new demographics of sales throughout like and that will include things like you know communists anarchists libertarians anti-capitalists every you know like there's no the critiques against the system are part of the system that's the kind of ugly beauty of it mm -hmm. um, it's uh it's it's a very it's an elegant mechanism for sure um that I mean, I think recently in the wake of um, what we're recording this at the end of August 2022, and there's been floods in Kentucky, what the floods in Pakistan mm -hmm. have displaced what, like literally like 30 million people, um, mm -hmm. you know, so we're sort of like, we're getting to a point now where we, where it's like, 
we're kind of having to accept that there's been no critique of the system made inside the system that has taken the system down. More than likely, climate change is going to take it down. But it's not going to be anything that, like, you know, the people do, the proletariat or the masses or you and me or the podcast audiences. Like, that's actually those things are kind of irrelevant because like, and it's not just the, it's not necessarily that we don't have any power, but we give that power up on every single level. There's no walking away clean from the structure at this point. Um, and that, I mean, oh, in a way where I, I hate that I have to say, like, I'm not advocating doing like the bombing thing, but you have to end up like Ted Kaczynski. You have to like move out to the woods, dude. Like that's basically it. Um, yeah. At some level you have to pull yourself out of the system. Or you have to learn how to, you know, live with the uh, the contradictions that exist inside of it, which is right. Um, and I think that what ends up happening is like people end up realizing that there are contradictions that they're sort of like grinding against daily, and don't really know how to handle that. You know, so they mm-hmm. and I think like one of the things that happens to Americans specifically because we are such an exceptionalist and individualist country is that we try and the natural inclination and the mentality is to pin it on a person Mm -hmm. is to say like, Oh, it's like, it's this guy, you know, or it's this broadcaster or it's this political group or something. And it's like, it's like a larger structural thing. You know, it's, Mm -hmm. it's a thing that we're all having a hard time escaping. Like, you know, I, I, um, you know, I had some, I had some friends over the other night and I was, um, you know, I was talking with my friend who used to be involved um, pretty heavily in um, in a, a, a local like a mutual aid group, which is something that I think like you know you and I've talked about. And she now works for a much larger organization that's connected to uh, the church. Um, mm-hmm. And um, one thing she was saying was she was just like, I realized that we were just replicating the systems that were present. You know, we had mm-hmm. like, we were very much like, well, we're an anarchist group and, you know, we, we feed the people and we have like uh we take like, we have like a cash app and like, we have a, we have like a Patreon every month. And it was just like, and I realized like, I'm just doing uh like an anarchist branded NGO at this point. And there are local groups in my town that are bigger that could handle a little bit better. Um, And I needed to sort of accept like that, like it didn't really matter how good i wanted to do this thing if i'm just still replicating the system i may as well like you know work with something that's already in my town that's accomplishing that as opposed to like confusing myself and putting myself in a space where i'm not really um like it's one thing to say that you're doing something like that and another to approach it with a material analysis that would prove to you that you are not and then try and reconcile that. And so you may as well just go work for the local church at re- outreach at that point. That's like doing a lot more than you are, you know? I, I think you kind of, you hit the nail on the head with a lot of that, right? Which is like, I think my criticism has always been with like, you know, oh, liberals or people of other, you know, persuasions, whatever, seem to have an allergy to understanding power for what it is. And I think the reason why is like as you as you've pointed out is, you know, pointing out contradictions very obviously creates cognitive dissonance, and no one wants to deal with the distress and confusion that causes, right? But something that we talked about, like both in a personal context, but as well as like just in a 
in an abstract logical one too is that exposing the contradictions for what they are is actually liberating in a way because it, it frees you from the confusion caused by trying to hold something together that sense to begin with right yeah so this is you know this is kind of why like being to spread the good word of materialist analysis um in today's episode and i kind of wanted to bring up um two of the twitter threads you had done um i want to say a couple weeks ago so the first one was um about the Bolloré family and their um various business interests in um petrochemicals, music and PR. Um yeah, that was um yeah, that was an interesting um thread to tug. Um I had a uh, you know for a long time it's sort of been um if you have a critique of like the for lack of a term the carbon economy the way that mm-hmm. oil flows uh, throughout the world, um, and maybe um, you know, I don't really know if the average person is super well versed in like the history of oil. I am not myself, um, but you know, some of the things that um, I think are the key points to understand about it are that it wasn't really discovered until the 1850s. There are not that many countries that produce oil, and that the big shifting point for a lot of uh, the world system uh, was 1914 when Winston Churchill converted the British Navy from uh, coal to oil to power the mm-hmm. ships. Um, and in the midst of all of this, you have like this, uh, this massive reshuffling of the way that like, um, like if you start to look at maps of like the Middle East, you see like the train lines start to move around like other people's uh, other companies and other countries bidding wars uh, for territories. You start to see that the, um, you know, one of the things that I thought was most interesting um, was actually, uh, I want was the, uh, I want to say uh, Khalili's book, uh, Sinews of War and Trade that had a long section about um, a construction company in the Middle East that, um, started out by being a dredging company and then found that there was a particular type of sand that was better for concrete construction than other sand and um, ended up dredging areas for new ports, not based around what the most logical distribution points were, but based on where the best sand could be extracted. Um, Mm -hmm. And inside of this multi-tiered company that was a dredging and port construction and logistics company, you know? Um, and, um, and I think one of the bigger things that happened was in the aftermath of world war two, you had a big glut of oil diversify itself throughout like the entire world economy. Um, like the introduction of polyester into clothing, vinyl records, uh, gasoline cars really slammed against the market and like the sort of like freedom way. And, um, all of this is kind of like a long introduction of this company, uh, Bolare, who are, uh, a French holding company. Um, but who also um, <clears throat> are the largest, I want to say we're the largest stakeholders or shareholders in uh, Universal Music, mm-hmm. um, which, I mean... Oh, they run it as a subsidiary through one of their companies, but that, that's a separate point. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, and Universal Music is a massive label. Like, um, like you know, I, I know that what... Um, you can edit this at this point, right? 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, but, but I mean, you know, to do the to the listeners, you know, benefit. Yeah, if, I, if you punch into Google real quick, you punch in bands, Universal Music Group, you're gonna see Queen, Black Sabbath, Pearl Jam, Guns N' Roses, One Republic. All American Rejects, Snow Patrol, Thirty Seconds Tomorrow, you know, BTS, Ramstein, you know, huge bands, ABBA, Kiss. You know, this is a huge, huge company. Um, Around the world. Yeah, a, a global company. Um, anyways, Bellare, this uh this holding company who are also one of the major stakeholders in them, they're uh, they're an oil or Bellare, they're uh, they're an oil and yeah, petrochemicals distribution company is what they majorly do, but they're also involved in port construction and they also own a PR company. And um they've been caught up in a series of scandals um throughout Africa and southern Europe um because they basically have been going to um different uh political candidates who are running for office around the west coast of Africa and offering them uh free PR and free radio station airtime through Universal um so long as those candidates if they get elected will grant them access to port construction contracts. Um and I I was blown away by this whole structure when I first saw it and it immediately made me think of that Kalili book that I just referenced where it's um the way that the material construction of the world has consolidated itself into these um these vertical alignments and you know i i think one of the things that happened recently around that time was i had a friend uh right around the time i wrote the thread i had a friend who was complaining about how um their band had pressed their record and the record was being delayed by like nine months which is pretty typical at this point um i had some friends that i helped press records with back in the mid 2000s and your turnaround time was like six weeks and now if your band sent the master to well i have some friends who sent me a, a master of one of their records in march of this year and it's not coming out till march of next year so the delay time has increased very much mm-hmm. um but if you look at the global distribution of oil the servers for most of online music are in europe so that just means that the same amount of oil is coming out it's just being distributed to way fewer places at this point um and you're seeing the the americas are tightening their distribution cycle as well as uh the is there is there a word for like the i mean there's like i've heard eurasia i've heard your africa i've heard middle east i don't know you know is there a word that we describe asia and africa and and uh europe as yet i i've heard a corporate abbreviation emia europe middle east and africa emea Okay. Yeah, it's but you know the it, it, the world has two big land masses on it basically, right? The Africa the, the the Americas and Africa, Europe, Asia and then scattering of the islands on the way to Australia. And that's those two um those two distribution cycles are becoming further and further detached from each other. Um mm-hmm. through a variety of insurance reasons and climate change reasons and you know just it's easier to well, why would you distribute oil all the way over here to America from the Middle East to press records so people can hear music when you could just distribute it to Switzerland where the music servers are? You know, it, it makes sense from a business point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, uh, you know, I think, uh, well, what, there was like that, 
that sort of led me. I, I had I had some issues with that uh, bull Aethra because I don't think I did as good of a job on it as I could have. To be honest with you, I think I could have gone a little bit further, especially um, the introduction of those. Um, the introduction of the port structure system around the same time that Universal Music Africa and a bunch of like African offices were opening. And so it was just this like massive rollout of like radio stations and media industries alongside this major corporation that was opening new ports. And then um I I want to say I was talking to Jimmy about this and he brought up uh that uh the or no, somebody somebody in a conversation I was having with Jimmy about it commented that uh um Bolare at this point has basically been forced to sell most of their their fleet off to this large uh, Italian mega tanker company, but it mm. seems like they might be still like leasing the fleet back, so they haven't had to really give up operations. I don't know. It's um, Bolare is also one of those companies when you look through the history of it, it's like basically like four generations of like this guy had to be removed in disgrace and then his son came into play and then he had to be removed in a scandal and his son came in. So it's, um, it's a revolving door of family members. So if somebody ends up getting removed because they were up to something shady, well, there's always like a nephew or an uncle or a son who can come in and take over an operation, stay going basically exactly as they were. And like, you know, let's not put the cart before the horse here. Who has more money? The company that makes the oil or the company that ships the oil? The company that makes the oil, the ones who make it, they're going to figure out a way to ship it, you know? So, um, but yeah, the, uh, you know, to backtrack a little bit into the, um, uh, the, the fifties, um, if you, uh, if you would like me to keep on, uh, uh, elaborating here on the sort of the, yeah. What the counterculture MK Ultra and the Carbon Economy? Yeah, right? yeah, that was your second thread, but it actually they both segue into each other, so you can proceed with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The um, you know, I uh, I started thinking more and more about like this uh, this you know, this cycle of um, of material exploitation, and you know, it's I mean, let me ask you, I don't know if you and I have ever had this talk, what does the phrase the 60s was a psyop mean to you? You know, it's 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 tough, right? But I think the vibe people are trying to carry across with that statement is that it's psychologically reconditioned people is what I think people are pointing at. At the same time, you know, especially with online discourse, right, is that a lot of these terms are used interchangeably. And, you know, one person's PSYOP means one thing versus another, right? I'm, so, I'm I mean, any at this point, very interested in the material basis of a PSYOP, for sure. Right, right. That everybody would benefit from, like, okay, describe what that means and describe how it functions. Yeah, because that's the thing. Like, when people say the 60s were a PSYOP, I think it's a useful statement. Don't get me wrong. But it could mean anything from... They were putting LSD in the water supply and everyone lost their dens, or it incentivized Americans to behave in more individualistic, selfish, and reactionary ways. Yeah, you don't necessarily have to give into the whole like uh, MK Naomi thing to like uh, um, think that things were not good in the, in the 60s, I think. Um, yeah, um, I'm, I'm, uh, I, I lean more toward the latter. The or okay. the 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 more uh, um, 
by the sixties was a psyop. I, I get where that comes from, but I think that it, you know, for me, the first time I heard that it resonated in a way that I think was more, um, more about like a general statement about like, uh, the counterculture at large, um, or the concept of counterculture. Um, cause especially, you know, you sort of get to, I'm, 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 I'm always willing to meet people where they are. And so if somebody says to me like, Oh, okay. I think that like, you know, it's really an extension of people saying like podcasters are eight are assets or something like, okay, well let's, let's follow that historical trend. Then let's see where we go with it. Um, because I think one of the things that like I've sort of noticed is like you get, there's like a grinding disconnect between like, or like one of, one of the, one of the dialectical grinds that I've observed is the ways that, um, the first world, um, incorporates like the concept of the hippies into how uh it's leftism is going to function um because i mean you get people who are like oh the hippies were like a totally constructed thing you know you you also get people like you know mark fisher wrote about like acid communism you know mm-hmm. bringing back like the spirit of 68 um so it you have like a pretty wide um <laughs> wide range with uh total rejection to enthusiastic support including like the sort of psychedelic aspects of it um and yeah i think the the 60s as psyop is a lot more of a um it's when the um the mass media state sort of moved into focus um and i think sort of having an understanding um of what the mass media is is kind of like lost and i think like I think the function of things like, you know, the PSYOP or MKUltra, I think, I think all those things, like, I get where people are coming from when things are sort of diversified into this, like, wide variety of terms. But, like, when people talk about, like, I I don't want to paint with too broad a brush here, but, like, um, which is something somebody says before they're about to. I would say that like MK Ultra and mass media and CIA and Cointel Pro and Chaos and the Phoenix program and Operation Jakarta, you know, et cetera, et cetera, you know, Operation Gladio, all this stuff. It's really about all of those things center around the concept of capitalist social control. You know, mm-hmm. making the public do what you want globally, which all of those things sort of come out of a global a, a globalization milieu, like a uh, a point when America took over all of the former imperial holdings, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, all of those things erupt at the same moment, and that they all focus on is keeping the entire world docile with their noses against the grindstone, pushing the machine forward. Um, and so I I think that um. And I think that things get sort of muddy in uh, the descriptions of these things when they're they're tried to be. It's like that John Muir quote, man. Like you can't tug on a single thing and not have the universe come with it. And if you're going to start tugging at the threads of like these massive, like you know, American government-based social control programs from the '50s and '60s, like you're going to notice that like a lot of them are trying to achieve the same material ends. They're all trying to create a 
pretty similar material realities. And they all mm-hmm. sort of like interlock into each other. Um, and um, I, I wish I could really like full throatedly endorse uh, Zuboff's Age of Surveillance Capitalism. Um, I have some critiques of it myself, but I think that's a really important book um, for specifically for a section of the middle. And I don't know if it's necessarily important for everybody, but I think for people who sort of like look at, I think for people who have gotten into parapolitics as an extension of their Marxism, like, like, mm-hmm. like I have, it's been useful. I don't really know if, if you're, if you're really into conspiracies and then you got into left-wing politics, I, God bless you, man. I think you have a tough road to hoe. I don't think one necessarily leads into the other, but I think at a certain, a certain point, your material analysis is going to lead you into looking into like the parapolitical association between like governments and banks. Ooh. Um, but Zuboff has this long section in the middle of uh, Age of Surveillance Capitalism where she basically writes out that like, you know, yeah, MK Ultra and the mass media kind of look like each other. MK Ultra was designed to control the population. Mass media and social media can do that. All of these structures basically play in the same territory. Um, and for me, I started looking into when um, those trends emerged. When did the big mass media shift happen? Um, and it's, I sort of got hung up on the, um, Noticing that MK Ultra, from whatever you know, whatever paperwork is actually left. Um, for anybody not familiar with MK Ultra, it was a series of uh, pretty extreme um, experiments done on the population and you know prisoners and you know uh, hospital patients, basically using drugs and hypnosis and um, uh, vari- a, a weirder variety of types of control to see if they get people to do what they wanted them to. Um, MK Ultra starts in 1953, which is the same year that uh, Maceda is um, uh, ousted in Operation Ajax um, by the <laughs> CIA and MI6 and or Mas- Masada. I, I'm realizing right now. Masadeg. 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 Thank Masadeg. Thank you. I've realized I've never said the name out loud before. I've just been sitting. I was I was just like, which which coup did I forget about? Holy shit! No, no, (laughs) thank you, Jesus. So, yeah, 1953, Mossadegh gets uh, ousted, and the Shah gets reinstated in uh, in Iran. And um, what the Seven Sisters all start up, which are seven different oil companies, five of which are American-run, a couple of which have pretty close ties to the CIA. Um, You know, um, oh shit! Sorry, I kind of lost my train of thought for a minute here. I'm sorry, you're gonna have to edit this. <laughs> what was I talking about? I'm sorry. You you were talking about um, most of that got overthrown and they install and the uh, oil industry starts coming up away from the nationalization plan that the Iranians want back yeah. to British and American control. Yeah, so you know, MK Ultra starts going in 1953. In 1953, also you have uh, Mossadegh gets uh, ousted um, uh, in a coup by the CIA and MI6. Um, MI6 were the uh, British Secret Service uh, spying agency, and um, basically, the uh, they kind of forced Truman's hand in starting the OSS in uh, 1946 or 47. 1945, somewhere in there, during World War II, and then, or early World War II, and then by 
the end of World War II, the group has sort of shifted over into being the CIA. But yeah, in 1953, you know, you had the introduction of social control mechanisms through like deliberate experiments on people. And also at the same time, you had these, uh, after the coup, the Shah got reinstalled. Um, and all of the oil companies, Mossadegh had nationalized before then. Um, and they were denationalized and uh, control was given back over to these seven different conglomerates, five of which are kind of like five and a half because of the way that investments work. Um, five of which though were deliberately American companies. Um, and so like when we talk about like, you know, social control or the sixties being a psyop or something, it's like, I think one of the things that happens is that um, there's a little too much like weight put on like social control being its own end or like, you know, mind control or whatever, or any of these, none of these things exist in a vacuum, you know, none of them are there to just be themselves. They're mm -hmm. there to produce material realities and the material reality that they were like, that they were working with was one that was based on the carbon economy. It was based on this like massive glut of oil into the American economy. Um, and so you see the way that I, you know, I think that when you look at the amount of like uh, the instruction of like polyester clothing, vinyl records, you know, the beats start going out and driving cars around the country. So like freedom as a concept is tied into like getting into your car and driving. And you see like all of these elements of social control that are related to consumption that are dependent on an emerging carbon economy. And so I think that, you know, if in a vacuum, maybe social control exists for its own end, but inside a capitalist country that is moving oil around the world, social control exists to perpetuate capitalism and the carbon economy. Um, 100%. Yeah. And the, um, I think one of the things that's been interesting is that, um, or not, I guess interesting, but I would say that to extrapolate off of, and you know, the thread that I wrote is this is basically what it's about. It's about the um, introduction of all of this glut of oil, the introduction of social control mechanisms, and then the invention of rock and roll and all that stuff after it. Um, but I think one of the things that you see end up happening is that there's a, it continues being a diversification like throughout, you know, basically up until now, you know, they started making, you know, you want to make a movie? We got polymer film. What's polymer made out of? You want to be a fashion designer? We can make polyester clothes. What's polyester made out of? You want to be in a band? We can make records. What are records? It's, it's, um, it moves through the channels that in the past would have been where like the protest is, you know, where the, uh, the objections to the system would lay. And so all of those things end up becoming components of the, uh, dissent itself. There is no authentic dissent because the channels of dissent are fully owned and operated by the last people you would want to have them at this point. Um, and, um, uh, you know, that's another one where it's uh, sort of left being now where I think the larger conversation is what to do about all of these things now that we're sort of aware of them. But um, I didn't know if there was anything specific about either of those threads that you wanted to bring up or you wanted me to bring up that I, I haven't touched on. I think what those threads like elucidate for me, at least, right, is like. You can't really escape 
the material reality that undergirds the whole thing, right? And maybe we can, you know, feed this into a discussion about, like, you know, where do you draw the line between parapolitical materialist analysis and mere conspiracy theory? But I I think that's an important distinction to make at a certain point, for sure. For sure. But I think it's like, you know, there's a lot of this discussion about, like, this is a materialist, that is a materialist, and that gets levied at a lot of people in the paralytical, parapolitical space, right? But to me, at least, I think it's critical to understand these abuses of power. You know what I mean? Like when we talk about MK Ultra, it is an abuse of power, but like to what end is it being levied? I think you have to understand that, like, this is all about maintaining the current order. You know, yeah, World War II it's, it's is... hegemony. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. It's like, you know, World War II was, like, a disruptive time for the entire world. And, like, you know, there is this, like, basic understanding in left spaces of, like, had to shut down the left after World War II, and they kept America's right you don't just get the complacency overnight you have to implement it by force in some context and by like really by carrot and stick and like we were talking earlier about you know you have to highlight the contradictions that you know exist in a system we kind of see that more so today less so than when we look at the 60s right where it's like a lot of people We'll look at the current state of things with climate, for example, right? And we'll be like, well, okay, we have all the science, we have all the data. You have, they'll point to polls of like, well, you know, 60% or so of people say we got to do something about climate change, right? But, you know, the contradiction staring us all down in the face, like you said, is that the material reality that undergirds our whole system is the carbon economy. From clothes to entertainment to, I mean, literal transport, it all comes from petrochemicals. And that's why, like, you know, the amount of, like, climate conferences we've been having since the 80s, for example, right? Why do these never seem to go? Or when you talk about, like, why does America always seem to pull out all the stops on, on this shit? It is because... Um, They don't want this current order to change. A lot of people from this. It sounds trite to say it like that, but I, I I truly do believe that like all what went into maintaining the system was for that. And then when you want to talk about like some of the real deep shit, the scary shit, like Gladio, like the different coups we did. I mean, Mossadegh literally was um, shut power. Because he wanted to nationalize the oil industry, and he wasn't even like a full-on communist. You know what I mean? He was, I, I think, like the democratic socialist or um, progressive type, as far as I yeah. Understand. I mean, you know, if uh, you know Kennedy in a certain frame got whacked just for being a nicer kind of capitalist, right? You know? Right. <laughs> so, just like you know, I, I've heard some pretty compelling arguments that somebody was like, "Wait, you want to invest in these countries instead of just exploiting them? Fuck you!" <laughs> no, I mean, even like you know, within like the the, the socialist and communist movement, right, you have guys like Allende, right, who like 
reject the uh, revolutionary model and say, we're going to vote ourselves in. We're going to compete within the legal framework. And they had to whack that guy too, you know? Yeah, I think like there's, um, I think that there can be like a sort of uh, uh, a naivety to, yeah, the extent that power can go. And I think one of the things that like, when you're inside of a structure where, you know, like we've been talking about, where like literally everything just feeds back into the carbon economy at, at, a, at a bare minimum, most of it feeds back into its surveillance economy, but the, the vast, vast majority of it feeds into a carbon economy when it's everything. When it's every single channel of dissent, when it's your communist podcasts, your protest music, you know, your, your local, like, you know, church groups and mutual aid groups, when it's every single aspect of it is part and parcel, you know, funded by and moves carbon through everything, even the best intentioned and like kindest people, even the most like far left wing people or, you know, the most uh, devout, you know, there when you see a system that makes it so like there's no way to actually be good you know or to keep your hands clean um mm-hmm. uh, yeah i think that there can be um a big grinding against that but i think what ends up happening is like you spend all this time doing like the grind against and you don't really yeah you have to look at the way that we got here like it didn't you weren't <laughs> They didn't defang your descent in a minute, you know? They spent, like, literally, like, four generations. Yeah, like, we've been talking about, like, just, like, fucking murking every single person who had a nicer version of the creation system on the planet. Like, every... And and not just that, too. Like, like, millions in the Philippines, you know? Like, every single fucking person. I'm not talking about the political leaders. I'm talking about, like, the people who just gave a shit. Like... You know, there like there's a long history of Quintal Pro and Chaos domestically going through people's shit. Like just like, oh, you like, like, d- d- dude, like they never went after the Black Panthers for like any of like the the fucking Marxist shit. They went after them because they were like benefiting the communities through like you know. Mm-hmm. Or, okay, so that is a version of going through the Marxist shit, but like, uh, you know, the the groups that have actually been out there got like just totally annihilated years and years ago and at this point all that's left is like okay do you want to like you know yeah do you want to write like a a little movie or a little song about like you know full disclosure i've been in a variety of punk bands in my life who have played a variety of political music so i'm critiquing myself as much as anybody else in here like you know do you want you know if if whatever you want to do we got a carbon economy for that you want to put out a podcast? We got phones and computers for that. That you know, <laughs> you know, you want to put out a record? You want to put out some clothes? You know, like we were talking about all day here. It's there's every single part of it has a a component of the carbon economy into it. Um, and um, you know, it's yeah, it's a. I think that 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 thing can sort of drive you crazy as you look for um ways out. You know, it's uh, yeah. The eternal question is, what does God want me to do with this information, or whatever deity you're talking to, or you can say that sarcastically if you want, which is also fun. Um, but I think like um, insofar as the realm of you know what, like conspiracy theory versus parapolitics, I would say like parapolitics is what's cons. I I would say parapolitics is conspiracy theory plus Marxism. Or actually, I would say it's very specifically Marxism plus conspiracy theory. The first has to lead into the other one. Or not conspiracy theory, but what we would traditionally refer to as that. Like anything that you've 
done as much material analysis as you possibly can inside of the traditional narrative frameworks. And now you kind of got to be like, well, I don't know. They, they killed all these you know leaders throughout the third world right before Kennedy died. I don't know. You know, like, oh, there's Cheney saying we're going to need like another Pearl Harbor, like a few years before 9-11. You know, <laughs> that's, you know, shit will stick in your craw for sure. Uh, right. Um, no, I, um, I, I, and I, I think there is like a, a big difference between like the realm of conspiracy theory versus the realm of parapolitics. But I think like, yeah, for me, I think it's the analysis that I have for all of this stuff comes down to um, like political actionability. Like, okay, what do you, what can you do about it? Not even like, what are you going to do about it? What can you do about it? Um, what, what could one do? Um, which is why when people are like, um, this band is an op, this podcast is an op, turn it off. Like done. You've, you've done the extent of what one person could do, you know, inside of that. Like, I guess like maybe you could talk to some people about it. Um, but there's no real, like, it doesn't really go anywhere, you know, versus like, you know, I think like the example that I bring up to people is, um, the moon landing, the big debate over whether or not the moon landing was faked. Um, and for me, it's like, I, my opinion on the moon landing is that, uh, if it was accomplished, it was accomplished to, uh, distract from the entrenched poverty in America and that it's uh, a gross misusage of resources to put like a couple of dudes on the moon when you have millions starving here. Uh, I would say that NASA is a weapons contractor and they always have been and that's always been the name of the game. Like, so if you manage to get people into space or onto the moon or other planets, I don't think you're doing it for reasons of kindness, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that you can get sort of like yeah, you can get lost in the weeds when you are just like, what if they did the moon landing to fuck with us? Like, that's not why that would have happened. Or that's not like the end of it. The fucking with you was not like the entire goal, you know? Um, and I think that they're, yeah, I think that a recentering of materialism inside of this realm and the way that like, the way that sort of propaganda and materialism are tied into each other, how one creates a social reality that sort of grinds against the material reality of the other one. Um, that's a space that needs to be examined a little bit more because I think that's where like the real interesting politics happen. And it's not just in the, I don't know, like it's fun to sit around and talk about like whether or not like, you know, Stanley Kubrick was admitting to doing the moon landing. If you watch the shining or something, but like, I just don't see how that, is going to lead to like, you know, formative change. Um, and especially in so far as having like conversations about, you know, you were talking at the very beginning of all of this about like, you know, how do you talk to people who are sort of maybe getting out of liberal thought, you know, and, mm-hmm. or realizing that this is a, a wall you're going to hit against or like, I think, you know, what you and I were talking, there's like, you know, I hate to date all this stuff, but there's like a little video going around right now 
uh that's like a TikTok that's what like all these like 20 year old kids were like i'm a libertarian i'm a neoliberal or something right do you know what i'm talking yeah, about yeah 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 and it's just like it's this like perfect encapsulation of well yeah you're like i remember like being 20 and living in a country where like marxism and communism was like totally fucking demonized yeah i i remember being a young democrat i remember it too well oh no yeah yeah it's like (laughs) like yeah you but you realize that like oh okay well this whole like liberalism thing is like this progressivism thing is just like not gonna work and so you don't think there's anywhere else to go you know, so you want to be like, maybe I'll be a libertarian. <laughs> you know, like, and so it's, um, you know, I, you know, I, as a, as somebody who was very much a, uh, like a teenage punk rock anarchist, God, I definitely cannot, you know, no, no offense to my anarchist comrades, but even they will have to admit that teenage punk rock, anything po- political type people are just insufferable. Um, you know, um, it's just like a, it, it's seeing where the trend goes out because there's no, I would, I would say that maybe parapolitics is like the version of conspiracy theory that you talk to people about when they're starting to like realize that things aren't really there. Cause like, I would say that like the realms of like, like this Bolloray company and like, you know, you know, oil distribution through, uh, the same cultural Milu that, uh, um, uh, you know, the, uh, the counterculture and, um, uh, the record industry and the fast fashion industry were coming through. Those are, you know, those are examples of, I think, actual, like parapolitical interest, things that sort of play with the realms of like politics and government, but also finance and power. Cause I mean, all of it, right. like, all of it's just like trying to figure out what this power thing is. And like, you know, I, I, I think that there's good examples throughout history that power is the sort of thing that moved through at least from what we can see now from our you know very narrow scope of it you know sort of like moved through like a formed up through feudalism and then turned into mercantilism then turned into capitalism and capitalism took over the world so you know that that's yeah that's the those three in a row are the frame that we use like um, and, you know, parapolitics, I think, like, sort of looks at that, um, that sort of, uh, things that you can bring up, like, cause I mean, okay, you want to be like the hundredth guy who's talking about how Kennedy got shot, or do you want to talk about how, like, oh, like, well, there's this, like, you know, larger trend of actions that happened. Here's like the milieu that it happens in, you know? Right. Um, you know, and it's, um. Yeah, it's sort of like nah, no, that's that's probably the end of what I got on that. No, no, you're you're making sense here because like this this is what I'm thinking about it. Right, is like a lot of the tinfoil left as the, as this subculture gets called. Right, I think some of the stuff gets dismissed as paranoid or too schizoid. Right, and maybe there are some examples you could cite where it's like okay, maybe this person too gratuitous with the connections they're making. Right. I still think there is like a net benefit to the coach. And this is this is kind of gonna kind of come out of left field, right? But like when you look at the academy and the approach of putting everything into its own separate discipline. Yeah. You gotta be an expert in one field. You gotta look at it like you know, something like example, climate change, right? That we understand to be, you know, a function of various socioeconomic factors that went into making it a scientific reality, right? 
there's people who only come at it from economics and if they do they come at it from capitalist economics there's people who come at it from science and when they do come at it they come at it from an engineer you know what i mean and this there's this idea that like oh if i approach this with my disparate and incomplete field i can come up with a totalizing solution for it and i think that you know the parapolitical approach is a rejection of that and if you center it like an analysis of following the money of looking at the key players of looking at how they shaped things like markets and behaviors and patterns you get a better explanation for how these things arise right and i don't necessarily think that you know these like 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 you said like you know if parapolitics is the merger of a marxist approach and a conspiracy theory approach i don't think these two have to necessarily live in conflict you have like let's let's just go to everyone's favorite example epstein right you have these Your favorite example <laughs> yeah i mean just like as the most cited one right it gets a lot of attention right yeah 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 is that like you know um you I mean, have favorite the, one is the obama was a gay prostitute thing <laughs> Well, I mean, okay, but, like, to to your point, right, is, like, even if you could justify that that was true, like, what's actionable? There's one thing with, like, the Obama was a gay prostitute thing that everyone keeps bringing up. But then with stuff like Epstein, like, there's those connections that make you lose your mind for a bit, right? Which is, like, why is this guy connected to and Trump? Why were they doing these, like, horrible things to people, right? To what end was this being deployed? But then you think about it, it's like, these, these are all people of a certain social class, all allegedly participating in, like, really heinous. And it kind of begs the question, like, and I think what this is the actionable, actionable part derived from it, which is, you know, the elite in our country are held to markedly different standards of punishment and um, scrutiny. What they can get away with is pretty monstrous. Um, the standard to punish them is pretty like threadbare if you look at the first time Epstein was arrested. Um, and the fact that, like, you know, if you try to raise questions about it, people will tell you to shut up. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. No, it, it's, um, no, I think you're, you're hitting the nail on the head there where it's like you have to. <laughs> Yeah, the way that you talk about all of these things is, yeah, I've realized, like, you talk about capital. You talk about, you know, it's a lot easier, I'll tell you this, man, it's a lot easier to talk about something like, um, yeah, something about, like, uh, like MK Ultra when you're already talking about oil, you know, when mm -hmm. you're already talking about the flow of money. Um, and, I mean, it's also, like, I think there's a different approach now to... Um, you know, in a post FOIA, like a post mass FOIA world or Freedom of Information Act, uh, Information Act request world, um, where you can tell everyone you want to the truth by just putting it on like one page of like 10,000 pages, you know, you can just mm -hmm. like dump all of the information into the world. And so I think we sort of moved from, and I've, I've definitely been thinking about whether or not, you know, the difference between like, conspiracy theory versus parapolitics is just going from a world where there was too little information to a world where there's too much 
And mm-hmm. so now there's different, there's like, you used to have like no points of reference or like, you know, once in a generation, like a fucking an Alfred McCoy or a Gary Webb would come along and like, you know, blow the doors off the fucker. But like, you know, it's been a long time since the Yankee Cowboy War was written. Like, so, you know, mm-hmm. you have this sort of, you know, thing now where it's just like, okay, well now you're just in like full on information overload. And sort of what you're saying, you, you can make crazy connections because every single thing in the world is kind of connected inside of this like larger structural thing that's moving things hegemonically. And so it's like, it's not only, not only can you make connections, it's easy and logical to make those connections to a certain extent. You have right. to sort of move things away from each other but like like you were saying with the academy and like you know the you know, the educational sort of structure in america or whatever you can't move them too far because otherwise then you're just talking about disparate points and those disparate points like if you're trying to figure out how they relate to each other like you can't just like fully separate them um you have to like let them play off each other and like and i mean to be honest like i there's a i you know i i, I couldn't cite you a source on this, but I wonder how much of that is due to uh, the hyper demographics of current media where it's, Oh yeah. Like, oh yeah. You know, this thing is here and that thing is there. It's like, yeah, you know, the, the world's big enough for uh punk and post-punk, you know, like, you know, you can have power violence and grind sections in your record store now. Like, so it's, uh, it becomes even more and more atomized. Um, at a certain point um because like yeah the every single channel of information is actually a channel of media and media has been broken down into very very niche demographics at this point you know and so when you're trying to you know put things together um you're going to end up having to move through like a bunch of sources and a bunch of disciplines and it's like you know people have um it's always kind of wild to me. People ask like, Oh, so what do you read or write to like prepare for some of like the longer things that you are going to you know put together? And it's just like, it's not even that anymore. You know, you're, you're sort of picking up Twitter. Th- it's not just books, you know, it's like, you're picking up Twitter threads, you're picking up podcasts, you're picking up like documentaries and movies and like, you know, sort of, you know, <laughs> you're going to learn a lot more about the surveillance state in America from watching a fucking Marvel movie than you are from reading any tome on it. You know, it's all kind of right there. Um, so it, yeah, I, I think it can be, there's definitely sort of a, a political economy to not making connections that you have to operate against. And it's really knowing how to make those connections and both, and then present them. And I think that maintaining like firm footing, like both feet firmly planted in materialism with a, a head that's like, not afraid to like get up in the clouds every once in a while, you know, just to like yeah. see what's floating is, but it's also like, if I feel like if you can't recenter it on something that's like real in front of you, then, you know, that's that you're going to end up in, in some trouble. <laughs> you're going to end up being sort of confused and, you know, kind of like, mad about stuff um as somebody who lives in like a a a fairly blue city in a blue state like that you you meet a lot of people who are like you know i 
you know, I, I I'm in the Pacific Northwest and I straight up had somebody during that massive heat wave um, last year when it was like 115 out for a few days. Mm-hmm. I overheard somebody being like, I mean, everybody in this town drives a Tesla. How is this happening? <laughs> and he meant it, dude. He meant it. And it was just like, no, you get people who are serious to like, dude, no, I put the yard sign that says we believe up and I bought a Tesla and, you know, I, I got like solar panels on my house, you know, and it's people who are like, and I, and I understand that I try and be empathetic toward that frustration because you, it's sort of the same thing that like all of us have sort of realized maybe a little bit earlier, like, wait, I did everything right. But like, why am I still suffering? Yeah, it's, I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. Why, why is everything so shitty still? It's like, well, these are things that are sort of like larger than the self. But like, I mean, but I think you also have to, I don't know. I don't know if it's any sort of like solution. You know, uh, for myself, I feel like my recentering with the world is definitely um, taking place with, uh, with uh, small scale gardening. <laughs> I've definitely gotten more into... I found that's like a real good way to, you know, to center around like um uh both like your community and also like this sort of like the need to escape the larger capitalist structure. You can at least like feeling you can at least feel like you're making something grow and do better um, you know, or improve, you know. It's uh it's a good way to remind yourself daily that like as long as you can just like give something care attention and time there's nothing that can't be healed or you know grown or made better um and i think it's um yeah you and i've talked i think in the past about the sort of um how like you know for lack of a better term like ecology can be a, a an easy way to start understanding dialectical materialism in your own life you know like oh yeah you see growing conditions for things that work and you don't do them you know you see how like Oh, I need to have like, um, if I want these plants to do well, I need to attract these kind of pollinators. So I have to have these kind of flowers. So I have to have this kind of soil. And it sort of allows you to, you can start to see a complex system and you can see how it works. And I think that, um, you know, I, I think that people I know who have gotten really into, you know, um, woodworking or, uh, fixing cars or things that involve like a multi-tiered system that still makes logical sense. Like, I think like, you know, in your question of how do you talk to people about these things? I think that there's a variety of systems that people are engaged in every day and you can start to talk to them about them. And then maybe if you find something that isn't super reliant on like the larger capitalist structure. And I know this is a silly thing to say. I have planter boxes that I bought. I bought the seeds that I have, but the soil that I have, I pay my water bill every month, you know, but you know, like we've been talking about, where do you draw the line on my Uber materialist understanding of the world, driving me insane slash making me, incredibly depressed um (laughs) and i think that that's like a a decent way to do it is you know um finding a system that's like directly in front of you or directly in front of like the people that you're talking to because i mean yeah i mean i'm you know from what you and i have talked about it it sounds like you and me and a lot of other people are sort of especially who are like a little more politically leftward inclined or sort of surrounded by a lot of people who are like i'm grinding against this and you know let's be real like if they're, you know, you and I were talking about all these like teenage libertarians. The teenage libertarian is the core of every American. Uh, these people are going to, you know, 
if we don't have like a, a thing to say or an understanding or some sort of communicative frame, it's not going to end up well for everybody here. <laughs> and by here, I mean like the planet Earth that we all live on. Um, well, well, right. And this ties back to like what you were saying about the individualist culture, like broadly in the West, but especially here in the United States, right? Is that, you know, if you see, if you were conditioned to see everything as an individual yourself, the libertarian approach is the only thing that seems appealing to you, especially like, like you've said, when you're conditioned against communism or any left approach for that matter. Well, especially once you've figured out that all of this stuff isn't going to work, you know, it's just like the, the machine that we're all running on is just like, it's, it doesn't matter whether or not you like it. It's coming to a conclusion at some point, you know, it's not going to like, and realistically, it's probably going to be, you know, gunned down in the next like 10 years or so by just like, funnily enough, I would put my money on the insurance companies not insuring oil pipelines anymore. So it's just <laughs> For real, man. Like if you had to really ask me what's going to end up happening, it's going to be an internal component of the system that so much of neoliberalism has been about moving the totality of the economy into a virtual state that has totally lost the ability to control its material realm anymore. And those two things are going to come into conflict and we're all going to see it happen. We're going to be sitting around with phones that don't work because <laughs> like the, the companies went out of business because the metadata disappeared, something that doesn't actually exist. You know, yeah. it's going to be things like that as the, um, as the conceptual economy and the material economy sort of, you know, grind against each other, I think, but you know, it's, you know, I think, yeah, we, we, I don't think we necessarily have like a job. I would never want to make people feel like they have homework, but yeah, I think like having some sort of realm that you can talk to people on is a lot easier and material reality that sort of is directly in front of you. Be like, Hey neighbor, here's a potato. I grew this potato. Would you like a potato? <laughs> you know, like that's um, that can be a lot more effective than, you know, coming in hot with like, you know, so their remote control the planes on the morning of nine eleven. You know, get to that point. Don't start there. Um, like also, uh, like, like with the with some of those like uh, points that we get to in conspiracy theory, right? Like, I think they are instructive to just one end that I think people should should do a better job of leading to, which is if any system is this mysterious, if it creates this many questions. It's probably a net bad, right? Like, I think, I think, like, that's what we can lead with. Is like, huh. I'm trying to think what I, I saw or, or heard uh, Anna Merlin on, who wrote a, a Republic of Lies, you know, and like somebody asked her, like, um, like what's like a something you took away from uh, studying conspiracy theory? And she was just like, well, countries that have high amounts of civic trust don't have conspiracy theories. There's no need. Like, if you just have everything out in the open, then people don't need to, like, come up with crazy solutions for them. They don't go, need to go looking into all of it. It's just there. You just need to be transparent. <laughs> like, and so it's a big, I think, yeah, it's a larger question of like, um, of being transparent and being available to people. Um, and like on a larger like scale and is involving our, our own interpersonal reaction or interactions with each other. Um, but yeah, it's about like building trust and trust is built on what's in front of you. Not about like the things that are in the ether, you know?
Yeah, and we can and we it's still useful to look into the ether sometimes, right? Because like those yeah. Oh, come on. We're here right now cuz we love right. looking into the ether. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like I I still we think there's really on a Sunday morning to talk about the fucking ether, dude. Like I wouldn't just wake up to talk about anything. Well, well, and, and that's exactly it, right? It's like, you know, when with some of this stuff like you get into weird shit, which is like, what are these people doing? Why are they doing evil shit? And you get you get wrapped up in that question of like what are evil people doing evil things for? But I think, again, it, for me at least, it goes back to the point of, like, maintaining fucking hegemony. Yeah, maintaining the order. Like, they're, yeah, the evil... I mean, I, I want to say, like, uh, like, I don't know if it was them specifically, but it was probably Subliminal Jihad on one of their episodes said something like, uh, you know, like, capitalism um, resembles, like, a, a black magic like a blood sacrifice and like i think yeah it's like you have to remember like no the black magic blood sacrifice didn't exist first capitalism did and then it created the conditions for this this thing that's just like you know annihilating all of us so um yeah and i think people get you again like they miss the force with the trees where it's like okay capitalism is black magic it's like no 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 the function is black magic and yeah. it's, it's bad that's really yeah. what we're trying to say yeah, you're supposed to be bummed out that it resembles that so closely <laughs> you know that it <laughs> or, or even better let's say it is black magic okay now you have double the reason to fight against it you know what i mean <laughs> like yeah you better uh you know put on your 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 your, your gandalf the the gray hat and fucking grab your staff dude no get your gandalf the gray hat and wrap tinfoil around it that's how you keep yourself safe uh yeah i forgot what we were on about today yeah 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 your, your tinfoil gandalf hat i like that your tinfoil wizard hat I've got another angle I want to take this. Um, we're going to take a quick pee break, dear listener, uh, and we'll be back in 30 seconds. Oh, I, okay. I'm down, too. All right. All right. I'll be right back. Same here. I got a pee, too. Bolloway Logistics is a global leader in international transport and logistics, featuring among the top five in Europe, with a continuously growing network spread over the whole European continent. Our strength is our local footprint, enabling us to remain close to our clients and their markets. Combined with the development of strategic hubs at the crossroads of international trade to optimize and consolidate flows and to guarantee the rates and capacity you need for both export and import. For our customers, we create and implement end-to-end -end solutions between Europe and all regions of the world, the Americas, Asia, the Middle East, and Africa, where we've been present for more than 50 years. We operate the only Pan-African integrated network of logistics corridors serving the continent's hinterland. Um, I, I guess another angle to all this, because I, I feel like we've kind of with the threads we were able to point to why you should you should adopt a materialist analysis we kind of talked about the difference between parapolitics and conspiracy theory another that i think we talked about in our discussions and i think like i wanted to share with the listener to some extent is also the way that like adopting a material framework is also useful for like personal recovery in, in 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 a sense oh yeah 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 because because yeah. like because lately like you know i've been trying to like come to terms with like things that have happened to me when i was younger and stuff right and when you're when you are traumatized for example right like 
it's very easy to view certain events as like your own and that is actually pretty detrimental to recovery and stuff right and as i you know delved into marxism and like materialist analysis as like a political project right i didn't anticipate the way in which it would also be freeing in a personal sense right because i'm able to view things like my family history and the dynamics of you know what i came out of as causes things that happened to me rather than personal failures or just in debt like like intrinsic weaknesses on my part so I, I don't know if you wanted to expound on that but that's something that i just wanted to share with the listeners is like it, it's not just useful to you politically it actually helps you contextualize things in so many other aspects yeah i um i think that so much of uh <laughs> And, you know, I, I, there's a lot of American culture that is based on the perpetuation of uh, trauma and abuse cycles. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think, uh, yeah, when, um, um, you know, know, this is something I've talked about um, on my feed and so, like, on my timeline, so I'm not, like, shy about it i'm a i'm a non-drinking alcoholic um and both of my parents died from alcoholism and um i the main use for me personally that i have gotten out of um specifically marxist and materialist analysis is that um there's a narrative that sort of shapes um, yeah, any sort of um, abuse that you went through or trauma that you went through or addiction in, you know, as being these sorts of personal failures and that the reason these things happen is because, like, you know, you like people are just, like, shitty human beings. And yeah, I don't really have, like, a, an answer for whether or not I'm a good person. That's kind of a weird one. Um but like, I don't think my parents were pieces of shit. I think my parents were people who tried really hard and ended up becoming victims of like these larger structures, like, you know, and you know, they're gone. So they can't get mad at me for saying this stuff. Like, you know, my dad was in a household with like a ton of abuse and he started drinking as a teenager. Um, my mom was somebody who died. I think a, uh, a very, uh, classic American death of despair. She was like, uh, she was a white collar professional who, lost her job and the uh market started to shrink around people who were older and so she started to drink more to deal with it you know and it's um and you look at those things and then you look at yourself and you're like well these are that's not like you know one of my that's not somebody like drinking because they were these things all stemmed out of like much larger, more obvious socioeconomic conditions, you know, the, um, and you know, my, you know, my father had a very like masculine father who was like, you know, you got to rule the house with a fist. And so it's like, you see the way that like patriarchy causes trauma and addiction. You see the way that like capitalism drives trauma and addiction. You see the way that like all of these systems and throughout all of this, what did my parents tell me? Like, well, you just got to like put your nose to the grindstone and go to work every day and do that, you know? And so it's like, 
And you see the way that the reinforcement of these abuse cycles is actually beneficial to the system, how it beats the people inside of it into not having the time or the energy or even the the interest in the understanding for something larger to help them escape it. Um, and um, I think that when I think it can be incredibly powerful when you finally make that sort of cognitive understanding through reading um, and through understanding these, like uh, these larger, um, you know, for lack of a better term, like left-wing concepts, Marxist concepts, materialist concepts, like you start to understand that systems exist and they sort of are running in ways that you really can't control that you just sort of have to uh, react to or adapt to. Um, Or because it's Marxist theory, it's also brave enough to say, or what if we changed it? Um, And that I think is, you know, for me has been one of the, you know, I, you know, I've told people my, I, I've, I lost two very important people to me through deaths of despair. My political orientation is whatever prevents that from happening to anybody else ever again for any reason. And Mm -hmm. communism is the path that seems closest to it. It's the one that provides the housing and the food and the medicine and the dignity. Um, And I, uh, or I I guess if you really want to split hairs, like I, you know, like a third world nationalism is cool too. (laughs) But, um, (laughs) you know, um, I think that, um, and yeah, there's definitely times that I've, I've known people like, I, you know, I don't know about you personally, but I know people that have been very bummed out or in a bad place in their lives. I've been like, have you read this or that? Or, you know, the other thing that would be typically referred to as like left-wing literature that has really improved their lives, you know, like mm-hmm. the, the power that you can give somebody who's like an office drone when you give them like a copy of capitalist realism, like the, the power that you can give, like a, you know, like a, a, a young woman of color when you introduce her to Angela Davis, when she has, you know, like these things are these like really, these like powerful things that like, I think like maybe kind of get lost in like the first world understanding of things, but like, I don't know. And I feel like as I've gotten older, like when you're younger, you have people who tell you like, these were the things that were important to me. It's like fiction authors. And you get older and people are like, oh, well, the things that actually mattered to me were like the really intense, like, you know, the things that helped me relate. And especially in a world that like the hegemony is sort of deconstructing in, a lot of that stuff is the stuff that helps to, you know, I... This has kind of gotten me some flack from people who are, you know, I'm, I'm like a middle millennial. Um, and I'm personally of the opinion that the Zoomers are um, like basically anybody born post 9-11 is like so much more capable of being on the ball and of seeing the large system of like trauma replication than anybody born before it. Cause they lived inside of its structure for so long that like mm-hmm. they're able to like really critique it really thoroughly. And like, I think like anybody who kind of can't remember the world before the internet is going to do a little bit better with it than people who are maybe like my age who like, I was like, I was born in 1984. So I was like 16, maybe when we got internet connection, you know, it's like, so I have like this entire realm of understanding of it beforehand. And like, after that, it's like, you have this world that like, kind of existed alongside one narrative track and then started to collapse during information overload. And inside of that, I think is the potential for more and more people to see more and more types of information. 
And like, I don't know. I'm also not really like a super, I've, I've gotten value out of reading Kaczynski's work or, you know, like Zerzan's work, but like, I'm also not like a super anti-tech guy. Like I, you know, I, I think it's introduced a lot of people who wouldn't have um, gotten access to this information um, and channels of like knowledge, like to, to do really wonderful things. Like, um and to like really make change happen and i think like there's a lot of critique amongst like you know people in the first world about whether or not it's good but you know i i think you would be hard pressed to find somebody you know i i don't know uh i, I don't want to like do that like third world glamorization thing or whatever you know but like uh what, what's like the story of like that 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 dude in like eastern africa who like you know, managed to like build like a, a water tower or something for his community. It's like, okay, well, mm-hmm. like tell that dude that the internet sucks, you know, <laughs> like, you know, this dude who like, like downloaded the schematics and like, you know, like built the thing. Like I, so yeah, there's, um, which is kind of like a ramble off of what we were on, but yeah, I think that the, uh, I think a, a solid left-wing analysis can, improve your world in a number of ways and yeah definitely i think helping you recenter your own grief and your own trauma and the the bad things that have happened to you inside of ways that don't make you a victim but help you and not necessarily empower you either but just like remove you from that dynamic it's like you yeah. are neither victim nor empowered you're irrelevant the system just does things and you're one of the things that it did you know um, it's, it, there's, I personally, I think there's like way too much emphasis on like saying systems are evil because they're not, they they don't, that's putting a human characteristic on it, but they know? serve evil ends, yeah, that's they serve evil ends, but it's just like, like capitalism did not have a bad intention when it did a thing to you. It doesn't operate with intentions, it operates along a fucking it's a machine. It's a machine, yeah, you it's know, it's sticker. This machine doesn't know the difference between flesh and uh, metal, and nor does it care. Here's a care. What did Barry say that she was going to get that as a tramp stamp? <laughs> so yeah, I um yeah, I think it's been a net net positive in my entire life, but uh, definitely the uh, the parts of my world that well, and it's like it relates to the garden stuff too, though. You know, you're wondering why your plants won't grow. Well, is there like a, a systemic reason, or are you a bad gardener? You know, like, you know, I'm, I'm having a hard time, like understanding this piece of work or this, you know, this book or like, well, are you a bad reader or is this like inside of like a structure that's different from like the ones that you're used to? Well, that's exactly me talking to people the first time they read Frederick Jameson. Like, so, um, yeah, I don't know if you've had anybody outside of you personally that you've ended up sort of moving left-wing theory through in um in a personal way but yeah it's it's generally worked out like pretty well for me and people are generally like there's a power to getting that vocabulary and that understanding for the first time you know the first time that you really understand like i am not at fault here i'm not a piece of shit you know and that's not going to be given to you by like a piece of like liberal theory or like you know no offense to like any of the various anon groups or not not like you and i i mean like alcoholics not us jesus <laughs> um, uh, it's not going to come to you from any of that stuff it's going to come to you through systemic analysis yeah and i mean this is this is really what i was hoping to you know i mean we, we've talked about this in so many 
in our discussion, but I think to understand things are so dysfunctional, you have to look power in the face, and then you have to be willing to wrestle contradiction, at least mentally. Because I think we all agree that we want things to change, we want things to be better, but I think we get so caught up in the confusion and the chaos and the sheer dysfunction of the current system that we we get blinded by how bad it is in a way, right? And I think that, you know, it takes a... And I, I'm not using the word in, like, um, a weird way. Like, I just... This is what came to my mind, is, like, to reckon with the world as it stands. And then using that as, like, a, a, a template, a baseline for what you want to change. Because you can talk about what its mechanisms are and why they're just... Why they're unjust why they perpetuate sorrow and suffering right that gives you that gives you you know the leg up you need to talk about a better world at least i think that's what you think and you know i hope god we did you know marx and engels you know our sales pitch for materialist analysis maybe they're rolling in their graves but i mean that's that's my standby Mark seems like he just chilled for so much of the day. I hope he'd just be like, you know what? God bless you, crazy kids. You're really going for it. <laughs> hope. All I mean, right. uh, I don't know if there's uh, anything else you wanted to touch on. Um, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm down. <laughs> it's up to you, though. I'm, I'm, try- I'm trying to think because it's like I just looked at the notification. We've been recording for at least i will have to trim a couple of this uh, you know yeah a couple we've been recording for like an hour and a half or so yeah i mean i i feel like i said everything i wanted to say um do you have any like parting thoughts you want to share with the listener before we get into closing you know closing out and plugs not that i can think of i mean this is the first time i've ever done a podcast so yeah i think i've i think i've roughly gone over everything i want to talk about i talked about gardening and the threads and like addiction and stuff so yeah i'm good oh yeah no i wanted to let you like you were pretty good, and I wanted to let you keep going because you were kind of like running the show for a bit. And I think you did a good job. I mean, you know, a little bit of the tinfoil chat hosting has done some of that, just like yeah. So, but um, yeah, just uh, kick into the um outro monologue. All right. Well, this show is greenhouse gaslighting, and we had on Charlie today. You can follow him on Twitter at at Heavenly Spit. Uh, yep, periodically. You, uh... Thanks for having me on. This was this was fun. Yeah. Do you want I mean, me to plug we, the uh, Twitter space too, or? Uh, yeah, you can follow me at Heavenly Spit. I write threads and I say other stupid stuff about like books I'm reading generally. Um, a couple times a week, I host a Twitter space called Tinfoil Chat. You can pop on in there and yell at me if there's anything I said here that you don't like. You'll see audio in there on occasion too. Another. Yeah random parapolitics people but uh it's fun and there's some i think that uh there's a a really interesting and insightful core group of people that sort of pop in and talk about uh really interesting stuff um and so uh otherwise no i don't have any plugs or anything at this point in my life i have a twitter account and the twitter account has a space but um uh yeah, thanks very much for having me. This was a lot of fun. It was it was great to talk to you earlier in the morning than usual. Hey, it was my pleasure having you. 
Uh, this show is Greenhouse Gaslighting. You can follow us on Twitter at Apod Greenhouse. I got the links to all the other socials in the uh, description below. Peace out, folks. Take care. Bye.